Hello, Malcolm here, and welcome to this teaching class from the Thames Valley Churches of Christ, the first of two classes this Easter time, 2022. This week, the cross, and the next week, next week, the resurrection. So we're focusing in particular on the Gospel of Mark today as we look into the cross. Uh, why the Gospel of Mark? Well, because we've been focused on it earlier this year, so I thought it might be nice to have a particular look at, the, at Mark's take on the cross, and hopefully we can learn something which we can share about in our locations, our family groups, our small groups, however we uh, want to use the material. Here we have what someone called is the death of a lion. You might know that Mark's gospel is sometimes symbolized by Jesus as a lion. Somebody said that a lion's story should always end with a kill, but the narrative in the gospel of Mark has warned us that it is the lion who will die. And that's what we're seeing here. So today I'm going to do a bit of an overview of uh, the teaching on the cross that we see here and its implications. A little bit of a another overview of some different models of what the cross achieved and then leave us with some thoughts for discussion in our local groups. By the way, I did a teaching series on the atonement a few years ago and that's still on the Thames Valley YouTube channel. I think it's certainly on mine and my website. So if you want to look that up for a bit more detail about models of the atonement, then have a look and I'll put the link in the uh, in the show notes. But first of all, an overview of this road to, well, the road to the cross, but the road ultimately leads, of course, to the resurrection. So it doesn't stop at the cross, but the road through the cross to the resurrection. What have we seen so far? Uh, how does it proceed in the Gospel of Mark? Well, in Mark chapter 11, you may remember we have Jesus's entry, his final time coming into Jerusalem, or his final time of moving down to the Jerusalem area. And he comes into Jerusalem uh, on the donkey, uh, he uh, views Jerusalem in the temple, then goes back in the evening in verse 11 of chapter 11. And then the next incident is the fig tree, the fig tree en route to Jerusalem, uh, the cursing of that, the incident in the temple, and the departure again in the evening. On the Tuesday, so that's the Monday of, of this uh, week, he is crucified. On the Tuesday, from chapter 11, verse 20, to chapter 13, verse 37, we have the fig tree again en route to Jerusalem, and discussions in and about the temple, uh, what's going to happen in the last days, and all the issues surrounding that. The Wednesday is uh, chapter 14, verses 1 to 11, and here we have the two days before Passover, the anointing, and and uh, Judas, uh, the situation there uh, with Judas. And then from chapter 14, verse 12 to verse 72, that's Thursday. That's one day before the Passover, the Last Supper and the arrest of uh, Jesus. And chapter 15 from verse 1 to 47, uh, that is the crucifixion and the burial of Jesus. Saturday, we have the Sabbath rest, uh, which is verse 42 and chapter 16, verse 1. And then on the Sunday, from verses 1 to 8 of chapter 16, we have what happened next. And we'll come to that in the next uh, class. So that's setting the scene of what's been going on this week. That's all in one week. So what do we learn about Jesus? A few things I think we learn. The first is that Jesus is the master, not a victim. Now, in one sense, he's a victim because he's a victim uh, in place of our sins. We'll come back to that in a minute. But he's still very much in control, isn't he? As you read through chapter 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, he's still the one who knows what's going on and is not um, is not bent out of shape by what's going on, despite how dramatic and how awful and not only the uh, the false accusations uh, being leveled against him, and the uh, but then also the physical violence that happens to him with the soldiers and then on the cross, but still somehow he's in control. We have an interesting Greek word 
mentioned many times here, uh, paradidomi, which means to hand over to somebody else. And it's used of Jesus himself in the second or third passion predictions, as they're called, in chapter 9, verse 31, and chapter 10, verse 33, he says that he will be handed over. And it's used also for the fate of his disciples, and he warns what will happen to them. They will be handed over, chapter 13, verses 9, 11, and 12. Now, in this section, in fact, only in chapters 14 and 15, this word being handed over to somebody else is used about Jesus no less than 10 times. I'll put the references in the show notes in chapters 14 and 15. Again and again, Jesus is handed to Pilate, handed to the soldiers, handed, handed, handed over again and again and again. He is being handed over, but he's not a victim. He's still in control. We find him silent before Pilate in, uh, in chapter 15, but not defensive. He's in control. He's in control of himself. He has enough peace and strength of spirit given to him, I believe, by Jesus, by, by God in his uh, prayer, of course, in Gethsemane, such that he's able to hold on to and, and carry out the will of God, the will of the Father, even though he himself is being so mistreated. He's the master. He's actually in control, even though, of course, it doesn't look like he's in control at all. He has authority without being authoritarian. You'll notice that when he's silent before Pilate, it says Pilate was amazed. He was amazed at Jesus. And I think part of the amazement was not just that he was physically silent here, but the authority with which Jesus carried himself. It impressed people, not for the sake of impressing them, of course, but it had an impact. He has this serenity somehow through all of the carnage that's going on. And indeed, he's bearing shame. He's bearing shame, but he's not shameful. He's not affected by that shame in, in believing that he is now not valued by his father. Something very important going on there. Let me quote from a book. To most people in the ancient world, the attempt to see meaning in the death of a crucified criminal would have been pointless. Crucifixion was completely forbidden for Roman citizens and only used for slaves and aliens. And to anyone educated in Greek philosophical tradition of divine detachment from the world... It would have been utter foolishness to seek theological profit from his death, from this death. While to a Jew, anyone hanged on a tree was cursed. Deuteronomy 21 and 1 Corinthians 1, 23, if you want to look those up. So he's the master and his identity is confirmed through these chapters, what's happening to him. In chapter 14, verse uh, 62, the high priest asks him, are you the Messiah, the son of the blessed one? Jesus says, I am. And then he refers to himself as the Son of Man. So in that verse, in that section, all three key titles of Jesus come together. Are you the Christ? He's picking up there from chapter 1, verse 1, and chapter 8, verse 29. The Son of the Blessed One, implying, of course, Son of God. Because uh, in the gospel, that's only used of the uh, by the demons and by the voice from the heavenlies in chapter 1, verse 11, chapter 9, verse 7. Uh, the high priest avoids using the direct form here because he'd think, think that was blasphemy. And Jesus responds with the I am, echoing the divine name from Exodus chapter 3, verse 14. And then he uses the phrase of himself, son of man. Not as a riddle, not as a uh, some kind of, uh, uh, of, of a secret uh, idea here, but he's re referencing there the glorious figure of Daniel chapter 7, verse 13. And the high priest knows what he's claiming here, because that is why he then tears his clothes. 
He's emphasizing the stupendous nature of the claim that has been made. So that's what we see in Jesus, amongst many other things. What do you see in Jesus through this whole week as he goes up to and, and, and gets on and is nailed to the cross? Now let's reflect on the meaning of the cross. Um, this is going to have to be brief because can't fit it all in here, but I'm going to give you some background to three main models that are often used as to what the cross, cross is for. First is called, classically, Christus Victor. Christus Victor. In other words, Jesus Christ as the victor, as the one claiming the victory. And in this model, he saves by conquering evil. Isn't that a good thing? And he certainly does conquer evil. And that's the said to be perhaps uh, one of the main models here for what's happening. In the book, The Nature of Atonement, they say this. Like an infinitely wise military strategist, God knew how to get his enemies to use their self-inflicted blindness against themselves and thus to use their self-chosen evil to his advantage. He wisely, and I love this, he let evil implode in on itself, as it were, and thereby freed creation and humanity from evil's oppression. In other words, evil thought it was going to win by sending Jesus to the cross, but God said, you know what? I'm going to use that against you, evil, and we're going to win in the end. Isn't that a beautiful idea? Hebrews 2.14. Since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity, so that by his death he might break the power of him who holds the power of death, that is the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. That's the Christus Victor model. We've been freed from the power of death. We've got victory because of what Jesus has done. So that's one model. The second model is the uh, substitutionary model, or added to that, the penal substitutionary model, which claims, basically, essentially says that Jesus's uh, work on the cross saves by assuaging the wrath of God or by putting Jesus in our place. Both of them are connected, but they're not quite the same thing. But I haven't got time to go into the detail here. The same book I mentioned earlier. Jesus died as our substitute, your substitute, my substitute, and bore our sin, your sin, my sin, and guilt by voluntarily experiencing the full force of the rebel kingdom we have allowed to reign on earth since what happened in Eden back in Genesis. The definition of this model will be something like this. The father, because of his love for human beings, sent his son, who offered himself willingly and gladly, to satisfy God's justice so that Christ took the place of sinners. The punishment and penalty we deserved was laid on Jesus Christ instead of us so that in the cross, both God's holiness and love are manifested. This model is probably the most common, at least in Protestantism, I would say, these days, and it's probably the one that uh, you've heard taught most often. And in our communion talks, it's also usually the one that is uh, the background to most of our approaches to the pur purpose of the cross. A quote here from Irenaeus, writing in about 180 AD, so one of the early church fathers, quoted in Eusebius, he says this, and I just love the way he puts it. By means of a tree, we were made debtors to God. He's referring to Eden there. By means of a tree, we were made debtors to God. Likewise, by means of a tree, we can obtain the remission of a debt. Two trees, Eden and the cross as a tree. Of course, there's a tree in Revelation, which we might come to uh, another time. 
Colossians chapter 2, verse 14. Having cancelled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us, he has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. The debt has been paid. Those are two views. The third is the healing view. By the way, I'm not exhausting all the views. There are others, but just giving you three of the main, of the main ones. The healing view. The healing view of the purpose of the cross is that the cross saves by curing and restoring. Curing and restoring. What do you think about this model? Again, I shall quote from the book, The Nature of the Atonement. The atonement means that the relationship between humans and God is restored or healed. The central piece in this restoration is that God, through the servant, Jesus, who personally takes on all our iniquities, grants forgiveness of sins. The punishment for our sins, which was often meted out in terms of suffering, sickness and calamity in our lives, has also been taken on by that servant. His absorption of both the sin and its punishment is the means of our healing and restoration by grace, bringing us shalom or well-being in all its richness. 1 Corinthians 1.18 The message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved. And that word saved is not only about remission of sins, but it's about being healed. Those To us who are being saved, it is the power of God. God's power to heal and restore. So these three models, in a sense, are three different directions for who needs to be satisfied by the cross. And the Christus Victor model, in a sense, satisfies Satan. The penal substitution model, in a sense, satisfies God. And the healing, restoration model, in a sense, satisfies us, what we need. What do you think about these three models? Which one speaks to you most powerfully and why? You might find it a fruitful discussion to have about that. Let me give you another early Christian writing from Melito, about 170 AD. I like the way this is put. Thinking about Isaac in Genesis. In place of Isaac the just, a ram appeared for slaughter in order that Isaac might be liberated from his bonds. The slaughter of this animal redeemed Isaac from death. In like manner, the Lord, being slain, saved us. Being bound, he loosed us. Being sacrificed, he redeemed us. It's a nice summary. The Lord being slain saved us. Being bound, he loosed us. Being sacrificed, he redeemed us. Worth meditating on that. So just to wrap up, what difference does this make to the way we think about church and our Christian lives? I'll quote again from another book. Throughout Mark's Gospel, especially in the middle section, which is focused on discipleship, uh, chapters 8 and around there, and in the Apocalyptic Warnings, chapter 13, there have been hints that hints that what's going to happen to Jesus is going to be the fate of the church. There have been hints all the way through. And those who believe that following the way of the crucified one is a bed of roses have forgotten about thorns, is what Mark is saying. Don't forget the thorns. We get to the crown of thorns, of course. Uh, in the run-up to the cross. Yes, Jesus is the Son of God. He's powerful. He's mighty in his cosmic struggle. And that's not to be forgotten. But there was no last-minute miraculous escape for him. And those who follow should expect no less. So the cross isn't about how we handle persecution. But the cross helps us to understand the world we're in 
and the fact we will never be accepted as part of the of the, what's normal and accepted here in this world. And we can expect opposition, we can expect persecution, and you and I can handle it with the same serenity and peace as Jesus because of the cross, because he's defeated the evil powers and we have his spirit now to strengthen us in order to be able to be like him in this world of trouble. And that's a large part of the reason, not the only reason, but a large part of the reason why we take communion, why we take the Lord's Supper. We need peace in this turmoil. We need, we need to have God's glory as the focus of our lives, not self-preservation. So when we take communion, it really helps us. As we hold on to that bread, symbolizing his body, as we hold on to that uh, fruit of the vine as a symbol of the blood of the new covenant, then we're reminded of the things we've talked about today. We're reminded that we have the ultimate victory. Jesus is victorious. He is Christus victor. Death has been defeated. The grave has been emptied and sin has been robbed of its power. Our debt has been cancelled. We are innocent before God. We, are, we have a clear conscience before him because of what he has done. We have intimacy with him that was lost in Eden, but now has been regained because of what Jesus has done. There's no barrier between us and God. The barrier of sin has been done away with. And we've been healed. You and I have been healed. And that healing, I'd say, is progressive and ongoing as we learn more and more to live into the nature of Christ and our ultimate destiny to be with him forever. But we have that healing. We can have a sense of peace that we can never have before, the peace that passes understanding. We can have the joy of the Spirit. And these things grow in us, but they are ours and they are available. And the communion can remind us of that. We've got the ultimate victory. The debt is cancelled. We have been healed. And I wonder whether that's something we need to think about a bit more in the way that we prepare our talks around the communion when we have the Lord's Supper. Those of us privileged to share, where where are you mainly coming from? Are you coming from the Christus Victor perspective, from the penal substitutionary perspective, from the healing perspective? I'm not saying that one is all right or any are particularly wrong. There are different views about these things, but they all have something to say about the purpose of the cross and why we celebrate Easter and why we have such a focus on the cross so regularly. These things give us peace and give us strength for the suffering that we're undergoing. So I hope you find this uh, helpful. I would like to know your thoughts and your questions. If you've got any questions about what I've shared today, drop me a line. If you've got any questions about the resurrection, send them to me as soon as you can, because I'm going to be recording that class next week in time for the week after, but I need to do it next week. I'm recording this on Monday the 4th of April. I'll be putting this up today. Hope you, you find it useful in your locations and your family groups, however you, you want to use it. My email address is malcolm at malcolmcox.org. Or you can even leave, even leave a message on my website, malcolmcox.org. There's so much more we could say about the cross, but at least we've said this much, and I hope it's helped. Till next time, take care, and God bless.